0: God's word to us this morning begins in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also, and you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, know him you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works." Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. Otherwise, believe on account of the works themselves. We'll turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we have all knowledge Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Therefore, concerning the the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords... Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We'll now turn to the back of our bulletins and read together as a congregation the Athanasian Creed. The church's faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity, and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit is all one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Spirit. The Father uncreate, the Son uncreate, and the Holy Spirit uncreate. The Father incomprehensible, the Son incomprehensible, and the Holy Spirit incomprehensible. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, and the Holy Spirit eternal. And yet they are not three eternals, but one eternal. As also there are not three incomprehensibles, not three uncreated, but one uncreated and one incomprehensible. So likewise the Father is Almighty, the Son Almighty, and the Holy Spirit Almighty. And yet there are not three Almighties, but one Almighty. So the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. And yet they are not three gods, but one God. So likewise, the Father is Lord, the Son, Lord, and the Holy Spirit, Lord. And yet not three lords, but one Lord. For like as we are compelled by the Christian verity to acknowledge every person by himself to be both God and Lord, so are we forbidden by the church's religion to say there be three gods or three Lords. The Father is made of none, neither created nor begotten. The Son is of the Father alone, not made nor created, but begotten. The Holy Spirit is of the Father and of the Son, neither made nor created nor begotten, but proceeding. So there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. And in this Trinity, none is afore or after other, none is greater of less than another. But the whole three persons are co eternal together and co equal, so that in all things, as is aforesaid, the unity in Trinity and the Trinity in unity is to be to meet with you.
1: And we thank you that. When you invite us into your house, you cleanse us at the entranceway. And we thank you that you sit us down to talk to us from your word. And we thank you that you feed us at your table. And then you send us out to carry on the work of Christ. And we want to be a fit church not turned in words, not just looking for the good life, but a church that is committed to the commission that Christ has given us. And so we ask, Father, that you would teach us and that you would use your spirit to open our eyes to truth, apply your word to each of our hearts as we need it, and What we want as a result is that your Son, our Savior, would be glorified. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. There are three creeds that over the centuries the church has adopted. One is the Apostles' Creed, one is the Nicene Creed, and one is the Athanasian creed these creeds were hammered out as the church dealt with doctrinal issues these creeds cross a lot of boundaries and denominations because the church is broader than our denominations and we're reminded For example, in passages like Ephesians chapter 2, the church is being built. There's a foundation that's been laid, and then stone by stone, this temple is being built. Of course, the temple is you and me. And when someone comes to Christ, they are added into this building. And in this building, the Holy Spirit lives, indwells. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And so the work of the church over the centuries is accumulating. It's to our own danger if we don't know that work. It's to our own danger if we think we know more than that work. Because we don't. The church is not perfect. And through the centuries, the church has done a lot of stupid things and held to a lot of wrong doctrine. But the church today, even McKinney Bible Church, has done some stupid things and has held to wrong doctrine. Now, of course, if we knew what it was, we would jettison it. But we don't. But in time... The Holy Spirit may move us in this direction or that direction as a church to help us grow because we know we are finite people and we have trouble with our thinking and we are all very biased to the way we think and we're hard-nosed and we change with difficulty. And so when we come to the scriptures, we come with our perspective and really aren't even open to new perspectives. Having said that, of course, you don't want to be wishy-washing and open to every new perspective. But what the church has hammered out over the centuries in creeds, these creeds are acceptable and they are fundamental and basic. It's to our detriment as a church that we do not recite the creeds. Our children are the worse for it. When it comes to the Trinity, you know, I think you know, that in the last years there's been a lot of debate about the Trinity. And in orthodox circles, many churches, including ours, has been called heretical in certain aspects of the view of the Trinity. James White has written a book called The Forgotten Trinity, And I would have to say that's pretty much where things stand across America when it comes to, well, the Bible church, the Baptist church, you know, independent churches. It's not that we don't believe in the Trinity. We do believe in the Trinity. But we're not very precise about it, and we don't think much about it. I shouldn't say it. Our God. And today, on the church's calendar, and of course, the church's calendar has its difficulties, but Trinity Sunday certainly couldn't be one of them. And why would it be after Pentecost Sunday? Because the Father sent the Son, and the Son came into the world And he paid for our sins and he rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven and having gained the promise of the Father of the Spirit, he poured forth that which those at Pentecost both saw and heard. Father, Son, Spirit, it's only appropriate that Trinity Sunday on the church's calendar should come after Pentecost Sunday. Now, of course, the calendar is not biblical. It's traditional. Like I said, it has some difficulties. We wouldn't want to follow it exactly. But again, the church has done something over the centuries, and we show our arrogance by ignoring that. So today we're just going to spend a few thoughts on the Trinity, and I've been convicted to think, well, you know, we probably should spend some more time. There's a whole lot of stuff being written right now, and it's very good, and there are things to be considered. Today, our focus will be narrow. There are two words that are probably not part of your everyday vocabulary. One is perichoresis, P-E-R-I-C-H-O-R-E-S-I-S, to teach your children. And the other one is circumincession, C-I-R-C-U-M-I-N-C-E-S-S-I-O-N. The first is Greek, the second is Latin. These words were chosen in uh, hammering out from the scriptures the doctrine of the triune God to try to explain Something, as you read in the Athanasian Creed, that's incomprehensible. God has given us some pictures to help us understand a bit. But of course, there is no one like God. And there is only one God. And when you say there's one God and he exists in three persons, it's hard to keep those three persons together in one God Instead, we tend to think more like, well, three persons, three gods, but the Athanasian Creed is there to correct us, to make us realize God is spirit. There is only one essence of God. and This essence shows up in three persons of the triune God. And perichoresis is a Greek word, that is a compound word. It comes from a, a prefix, peri, and this prefix peri is, is, an, is a, a conjunction that means, like for example, you have peripatetic. Pathetic means to walk around, not pathetic. There are peripatetic people, mind you. Peripatetic means a walk, and you put peri in front of it, it means you walk around. Chorasis. well, we're not quite sure. There are two possible places that comes from. One is uh, corine, which means to give way. One is something more like chorasis, which means to dance. Dance around or give way around. But what the words, both the Latin circumcum, Circumcommunion it's not in my everyday vocabulary either, obviously. These, these two words mean to indwell. So they have a spatial aspect to them. Because we're physical people and we think spatially, and it's hard for us not to think spatially. It's hard for us to think of, uh, you know, a spirit, a ghost. What is that? It's hard to tell. But God is spirit. We know that. And He has an essence called a hypostasis. And that essence is comprised of oh, all the attributes that you could think of. And within that essence, there are three persons who are one God, who uh, indwell each other. The word is interpenetrate. So you think of the substance, or two substances, and they come together, and one penetrates the other, and then they are one substance. So we talk about interpenetration in connection with perichoresis and circumcession. Turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the face of the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over. And we get a whole list of the animal world again. This is where the triune God shows up. You can read, God singular and so forth in the Bible. And you think, well, okay, God. You can read the Father. You think, okay, God the Father. You can read God the Son. Okay, God the Son. And you might tend to pull them apart and think that they're two separate gods. But they're not. They're one God that indwells each other. This is what you read in the Athanasian Creed. Now, how do, we, how, do we, how do we come to grips with that? Well, first of all, in verse 26, and you will note, if you could just flip ahead and look down in chapter 3, verse 22, after the fall, God said, now man has become like one of us. In other words, in two places, when God talks, It's like more than one person. Let's make man in our image. That's spoken from the plural. Why? Because there are three persons. And they are distinguishable, but you cannot pull them apart. They belong together. And so God says, okay, here's what I'm going to do to help you know me. I'm going to make you in my image according to my likeness. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, singular, male and female, he created them, plural. Now, we're made in the image of God. We're not God, we'll never be God. But in some aspects, we are like God. And if you pick up your theology books and you read how are you made in the image of God, they have all kinds of conversation about how you think and your self-consciousness. And I suppose all of that's true, but none of that is stated right here in Genesis. Genesis has a point to make. And the point is found in verse 27. So, you take a male and a female and they are a singular him. And they're a plural, them. And you step over into chapter two, when we get the second creation account, the Yahweh creation account, the Yahvistic creation account as it's called, and that is God's covenantal name, it's not surprising. The first account is Elohim, his power, creating all things in seven days. The second account, going back over the creation of man, but now with his covenantal name because he's creating a covenantal couple. God is covenantal. And so the Father, the Son, and the Spirit interpret. Penetrate one another covenantally. It is a relationship of love and it's perfect. So there's one essence, there is one will of God. The father doesn't have a will and the son has a different will and the spirit has a different... No, there's one will. There is never a disagreement. They always think the same. They always make the same choices. Wouldn't it be lovely to have a marriage like that? Well, of course, that's somewhat the goal. says verse 27 of chapter 1. So God made man his own image and the image of God he created him. Okay, here's this hymn. male and female he created them. Look, you can talk about two persons that are one essence. Well, not like God exactly, but to help us understand. So what happens? God creates man out of the dust of the ground, breathes in the nostrils the breath of life, and man becomes a living being. Then he says, oh, it's not good for man to be alone. I think I'll make a helper suitable for him. You know, because Adam was so lonely by himself on day six of creation, having named all those animals and such, he was really a lonely guy. Well, that's a bunch of hogwash. This is, this is you got to think biblically. Look at what the text says. It's not good for the man to be alone. Why? Because God's making man in his own image. And so what's he do? He takes the man and he puts the man to sleep. And he takes out of the man, well, some of your translations say rib. It's, you know, something of his side. And he fashions that something of the man into the woman, and he brings the woman to the man. And the man says, oh, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she's taken from man. For this cause, this is the paradigm, A man shall leave father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Adam and Eve are different than any of us because Eve was made from Adam. They still had trouble, you notice, but they were one substance, just as God is one substance. But from it flows a paradigm that then teaches us about God through perichoresis. Interpenetration. So, for this cause a man shall leave father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Not like Adam and Eve, that's not possible. But when two people get married, they come together and they are one flesh giving us a little, just a little picture of God. So God is one God in three persons. The Father, who's not created. The Son, who's not created, but who is begotten. And the Holy Spirit, who is not created, but who proceeds procession? And this is the picture that is picked up in the New Testament, as we read in chapter 14 of John. Let's turn back there to chapter 14 of John. just want to read uh, verses 8 through 11 of chapter 14. If I can find it here. Yeah. So, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus said to him Have I been so long with you Philip and yet you, you have you have not come to know, you have not come to know you have not come to know me Philip <coughs> who has seen me has seen the father How do you say show us the father do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is, is in me, otherwise believe on account of the works themselves. So there you have it, perichorosis. I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. We're just like this. We are one God in two persons. When the Father works, the Son works. When the Son works, the Father works. When the Father speaks, the Son speaks. Now, we can take these three persons and we can see that there are specific ministri- ministries dedicated to them, and yet they're one God. So when the Holy Spirit comes to live in his people, you just look down a little further there in chapter 14 of verses 21 and 24. When the Holy Spirit comes to live in his people, well, He's one God. The Father and Son come to live too. It's impossible not to. So that we can say something like, all that God does, all of God does. Now, we segment out, the Scripture segment out for us, the Son's work, the Father's work, the Spirit's work, but this is one God, so it's everybody's work. That's the way it is. So God makes an illustration, and it's marriage. So here you have the Father, and eternally begotten from the Father is the Son. So before the world ever was, here's God. Right here. He just is. God is. Before time. And God has always been, always will be, god is and from before time the son well you got the father and you got a son and sons come from father but he's not he's not uh he's eternally begotten and the spirit eternally proceeds from the father and the son now The procession in John chapter 15, where we're told that the Spirit proceeds from the Father, is going to happen on Pentecost, into man's life, into the church's life. So, it's hard to comprehend. But it's magnificent. And we get a little picture in marriage. So, you have the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit. You got three. And in marriage, you have the man, the woman, and what? The children proceed from the father and the mother. This is what God is showing us. Now, I want to step back from that. And I just want you to, I I, want to do something that concerns me. I think you know it's my concern. You've heard me say things about it. You're probably sick of it. And uh, I'll retire soon, so you'll get rid of me, and you can leave it behind if you want to. So if you think about Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, it it is the foundation for the whole Bible. And in chapter 1... God created the heavens and the earth. Before that, there was just God. He has no beginning, he has no end. You ever thought about that? Well, it's hard to think about. Because you can't remember your beginning, but you can remember early on. And you will, uh, most likely, I mean not all of us, be conscious in the end, but you can't think about just is as God is. So Genesis 1, 2, and 3 are about creation, seven-day creation. Now, you know, it's a sad thing in my opinion, but within the church today, and this goes back several centuries, so it's not like it just now happened, but in the church today, there are many who preach that The earth was created in, oh, 15 billion years through theistic evolution. You can go into our library and you can pick up the Genesis uh, commentary sermon by James Montgomery Boyce, a lovely man whom God used greatly. And you can read in Genesis one and he believes that science teaches us 15 billion years. I have friends that think that. But put all that aside. They still believe God created, but just put that aside. Whether it's 4,000 years, which is more where I am, or 6,000 years, which is where some other people are, 10,000 years, or 15 billion years, before years could be measured, God is. Now, think about the creation. It is magnificent, stupendous. Man has only begun to know about this creation. Still, we find things at the bottom of the ocean we've never seen before. It's something. How it works in harmony. How it fits into the solar system, this earth we live on. All of that. Have you ever thought about that? Well, when Genesis was given to Israel, they didn't know near as much as we know. We know a whole lot more. But before that was, God is. And according to the Bible I read, it says God created the heavens and the earth. And then he began to formed them and filled them and within that forming and filling he filled the earth with man and he said to man okay now you're in my image and i rule this huge universe it's all mine but what you're gonna do is you're gonna be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule the earth. And so here are two people up on a mountain called Eden, up high because the rivers flow down from Eden down to the garden, then it splits into four rivers that flow throughout the earth, the four corners of the earth. And God says to those two people, Harry choices. indwell each other, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it. And some people would say, as uh, many do today, well, now the earth is full, that job is done. Well, the earth may be full, but I don't really think it is full. And the job certainly isn't done because godly people don't rule, the earth that is the command adam and eve well adam and eve messed it up and of course from that point on there's redemption history to bring forth the messiah king jesus who saves us and we've been looking at that in first corinthians chapter 15 and then he goes to work having arisen from the dead, ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, where the Father says, ah, come on, sit down, until I make all your enemies a footstool for your feet. And right now, Jesus is at work, seated on the kingly throne, subduing his enemies, and the last one is death. And he said to his disciples, hey, I send you as my Father sent me. The sins of those you remit, they're remitted. The sins of those you retain, they're retained. He sent them out. And ever since that day, the church has been sent out to do what? Well, of course, to bring the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that Jesus is King. It includes the narrow gospel. What does it take to be part of this kingdom? and talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus, but the gospel is the good news that the promises of the Old Testament have been fulfilled in Christ. Okay, so I'm coming to my main point here. And most of you will nod your head and agree with me. So my main point is this. Before there was anything, there is God. One God existing in three persons that can be distinguished but cannot be separated. There's one God. They have one will. They've never disagreed with each other. They've never grown angry with each other. They've never been irritated at each other. They've never thought, you know, I'm done with you. They're one God existing in three persons. And how it worked... I do not know because I can't think that way, but they, this one God with three persons, created this universe and put you and me right at the center of it and said, take dominion. Now, my question to you is this, did God know what he was doing? Clearly, the answer is yes, God knew what he was doing, didn't he? And in taking dominion, he told us how to take dominion. Did God know what he was doing? Was there some culture surrounding him where he said this, and that culture's now gone, so it's a little different now? No, God knew what he was doing, and he fought it up all himself because this God, who is Well, you can see just by looking at creation, he's omnipotent, very powerful. You can see by studying creation, he is omniscient, all-knowing. All that is, he created it and made it all work together. And Hebrews tells us, Jesus is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his being, and by his word he upholds all things. It's all going on because God is, and he knows what he's doing. And there is this commission in Genesis chapter 1, of course, that was altered somewhat because of sin. And then the commission is sounded again. But as far as I know, the idea that man is going to rule the earth has not disappeared. It's going to come to complete fruition, consummation one day. And the fact that it's going to be done by families I don't think that's changed. It's the same thing that is the mission of the family. Father, mother, perichoresis, children doing what? Taking charge of the earth. Well, right now, of course, that means in... in, gospel terms a good portion of the focus is going to be on evangelism but that's not all evangelism is not just going out and saying okay here let me give you the four spiritual laws no evangelism is good news and the good news is hey we know what god said back in genesis and that's exactly what we're doing we're
0: living it
1: that is Families have a purpose. Families need to be strategic. So within the church, some people get very rich, but that's not our purpose. Within the church, some people will become very well-known, popular. That's not our purpose. Nothing wrong with that as long as that's not the pursuit. Now, what is our purpose? Well, we're made in the image of God. Our purpose is to be like God. The Son and the Father and the Spirit, they don't argue. You argue with your wife? Then you're not quite like God yet. Are you teaching your kids this is the mission of the family? Move it in the New Testament to the church. We're here for a purpose. And we're we're not here for the American dream. You know, to have a certain size house, uh, 4.3 kids, two and a half dogs, you know, that kind of stuff. Although all of that's fine. But that's not why we're here. Until the church gets missional. Until the church gets strategic. Until the church says, you know, I know why I'm on the earth. I'm on the earth to have a family. I know there are exceptions, so don't misunderstand me. I know God gives people to be single. But I'm just going back to creation, and all I'm saying is, this is why we are here. We are here to fulfill a creation mandate that was interrupted by sin, but Jesus has corrected that problem for us with his own blood so that we can step up and say, you know, this place is fantastic, and I get to enjoy it while I'm here. And, you know, God gives you a good life. You say, this is fantastic. I get to enjoy it while I'm here. What Paul says, you know, tell the rich in this world, don't fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. And tell them to share with those who are in need. Why? Because it's missional, missional. We're here at Jesus' command, picking up from Genesis, because after all, Jesus is, was there at creation in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God the same was with God and all things came into being by him and without him nothing came into being that is in being whoa and God said oh Father, Son, Holy let us make man in our image and God said okay this is what I want you to do And then when Jesus was sent from the Father and and baptized by the Spirit and stood with his disciples after the resurrection and said, okay, this is what I want you to do. The Father sent me, so I send you. He meant what he said. And of course, he wasn't just talking to 12 men. He was talking to his people. We have a purpose. And we get a lot of side benefits because God loves us and cares about us, and, and uh, he, he knows what he's doing. But I'm trying to get us focused. There's a task at hand. And the task is bringing everything under subjection. Now, we know that will never happen unless people's hearts change. And so at the top of the list is we go and we talk about the gospel. And we're doing better at that here at McKinney Bible Church. We we can get even better yet. But that's only part one. Part two is, okay, now when people come and look at our lives, do they see that it measures up to what the Bible says? That's what we need to do. That's where we need to be going. So what I'd like you to do, men and women and young people, is reassess and say, okay, are we doing, are we teaching our children, are we living out, hey, we're here Strategically. Way back when, I think probably when we first moved into this building, I preached a series. uh, I, I wouldn't even want it dug up now. It's called Why in Heaven's Name Are We on Earth? It was about the book of Acts. And that was back in the days when I thought our dwelling place was going to be heaven. I've been changed since then. We're going to go to heaven, but our dwelling place could be the earth. But the point was, you know, God has us here for a reason. That was the point I was making at X. God has us here for a reason. So... I want you to think about this. You know, we we went through, I'm going to call them our glory days. Our glory days were when the babies came. And from up from Mexico, and then they brought through this tribe of missionaries, and our young people wanted to be missionaries. Any families urging their kids that way? Any families urging their kids to be Bible teachers? Or is it just too easy having the good life? So Deuteronomy warns over and over again, okay, you're gonna go into the land and you're gonna get fields you didn't plant and trees you didn't plant and crops you didn't grow and houses you didn't build. And uh, then you're gonna forget me because life's too good. Well, I believe that's what's happening in America. The forgotten trinity, says James White. Why? Life's too good. We have too much good stuff. Too much ease, too much relaxation. I'm not wishing for it to change, don't misunderstand me. I like uh, the good stuff as much as anybody. But I want to refocus us to mission, strategy as families. Okay, we're going to have kids. And what are we going to teach them? What are we going to push them towards? Does that make sense? Well, we raised our kids a certain way and it certainly wasn't the perfect way and uh, I wish I could live it over to be a better dad than I was. I'm still a dad, but I wish I could have I wish I were would have been better than I was. I didn't spend enough time with my children. I spent too much time teaching Bible studies. But we raised them in a certain way. And you know, it had its hiccups. Everything didn't go according to plan. But in the end, God worked it all out by his grace. And now, I have one favorite daughter-in-law. And I can't decide which son-in-law is my favorite. <laughs> Helps to only have one daughter-in-law, right? And we have nineteen, twenty grandchildren one is with the Lord and I think my kids are missional minded so think about this and here's where we'll quit we're going to pick up Trinity again because I've only only talked about one thing God's interpenetration interpenetration the Godhead. The Father's in the Son, the Son's in the Father. The Spirit's in the Son, the Son's in the Spirit. So forth. They're just like this, if you want to put it that way. It's spatial, because that's what we can understand. But the next step is God's in us. And we are In God. That's the language of John chapter 17. That has to do with Trinity, our triune God. And so the goal, we won't won't make it before we die. I'm sure of that. I know that and you know that. But the goal, God's like this. The goal is in our marriages to be like this. The goal is with our kids to be like this. It's Trinity Sunday. Isn't it great? Let's stand. Holy God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in whose single name we've been baptized, we thank you for dragging us into the church against our will but then making us willing. And we thank you that as a body of believers, according to your word, you come and live right in here in us as a church and in our bodies individually you live in us and I pray that we would just pause and think about that. The God that is before anything was the one who's all-powerful and all-wise, the one who made the plan, the one who told us what we're for, the one who told us how we could be content. Oh God, help us submit to you and read your word and believe it and live it. This we pray in Christ's name, amen.